Welcome back to Rule 8 Politics, the show where we always tell the truth, or we at least don't lie. I know it's been quite some time. We kind of had a little bit of a hiatus. I was back in New York visiting my friends and family, um, and uh, three weeks later, <laughs> here we are. Um, and I'm glad to be back. I miss doing this. Um, I love getting to talk with you, Jeremy. I, you're incredibly bright and... Uh, this is always just a fun, fun project to do. Um, and we've had quite a week. We have had an exciting week. It was like the excitement of election week all over again, I felt like in, in a lot of ways. Just uh, I found the news this week exciting. Um, number one, we had uh, the first people in the UK uh, began receiving vaccines. That's very exciting for the fight against the coronavirus. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine was actually just approved here as well. And hopefully tomorrow, the first Americans will begin getting vaccinated. We also have the Electoral College formally voting tomorrow to, to make Joe Biden the next president of the United States. Uh, we had ongoing discussions regarding the, uh, the stimulus package. Um, we'll, we'll get into that with uh, some more detail. Uh, we also have some interesting legislation, legislation coming from outgoing Representative Tulsi Gabbard's desk. She's the representative of Hawaii. She ran for, for president in the Democratic primary. Um, she is co-sponsoring legislation called the Protect Women's Sports Act. We'll get into that as well. Andrew Yang, another 2020 Democratic candidate, is considering running for, for New York City mayor. Um, and there was a bombshell story out of Axios alleging that there is a Chinese spy who shagged Representative Eric Swalwell and potentially has <laughs> influenced him. We will get into all those stories. But first... I guess we will begin with the most pressing news, what's going on tomorrow with the vaccines and with the Electoral College. Um, who's yeah, getting the vaccines so. first? <laughs> I'll start there. <laughs> who's, who's, who gets the first vaccines, Jeremy? Uh, so every state is going to have their own vaccine rollout program, but mm -hmm. as it stands right now, or at least for what I've seen so far, um, vaccines are going to be rolling out to basically exclusively nursing homes and the elderly. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense. I mean, they're the uh, segment of society that's at highest, highest risk. By far, they've taken the, the largest brunt of the, um, of, of the deaths and long-term uh, disabilities post-COVID so far. So it does make sense that that's where, that, uh, where the vaccines are targeted to first. Um, so every state is going to have their own vaccine rollout pro program. But um, I, so I, I haven't looked into the details of everybody else, but what we have planned here in Missouri, it makes a lot of sense. A, a vast majority, or basically, if, if it all goes as planned, if the production schedule for all these vaccines works out, anyone who wants a vaccine can get one by come like, uh, like the summer or late summer, which in and of itself is incredible. I mean, yeah. it's... We're basically halfway through December right now, and we're forecasting in, in six, seven months, we can have the whole state vaccinated. That's a huge accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Definitely a major accomplishment for science. 
Um, this is the fastest a vaccine for anything has ever been created, developed, and approved. It's really uh, uh, it's, it's an amazing feat. Um, I want to ask, uh, how much credit do you give the current administration for that? All right. I give them enough, enough credit. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Really? All right. It's like, do I think that the vaccine development was due to the administration? All right. So I feel about this the same way. Any, anytime anything goes right for the Trump administration, like, do I think it's like due to or despite the Trump administration? Right. Cause you really never know like who's really pulling the reins is, I mean, who was really in control of all this? It's, it's so hard to say, and I don't have a straightforward answer for it. Um, I think people that he has put into positions of, of power, especially within the health and human services, are questionable. Um, but I think maybe maybe that is also a question that can't fully be answered right now. Maybe that's something that can only be answered in retrospect. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah. there's there's so many moving parts, so much going on right now. Like, would a different administration have ended up with, you know, injections into people other into people's arms any quicker than this one? I mean, the, the UK beat us, but by well, like, but it's like still Pfizer, right? That's right, and now, yeah, it's not a different company. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, the UK uh, may have approved it first, but that's just because their regulatory body moved a little bit faster than ours. And there are people here saying that, you know, we're just being more careful, I guess, you know, they wanted to make sure every T was crossed and every I was dotted before they begin putting it in people's arms. But the amazing thing is still American industry, Pfizer, it's an American company, created the vaccine, the first vaccine to be approved and administered to, to the public. Um, wasn't a socialist <laughs> company or anything like that. This was an American company. I think it was also a victory for, for you know, private industry. Um, I mean, we've got so many problems with our healthcare system. Yes, we do. But one thing that we do very well in this country is develop new uh, drugs for, for all sorts of illnesses. Yeah, or at least throw money at it. And, you know, it's uh, this is definitely one area of research that I, mean, I am so glad that this type of vaccine was, you know, the mRNA was the type of vaccine that was developed and researched and approved because that's going to open the door to so many other medical breakthroughs. Like when it comes to curing cancer, when it comes to curing AIDS, when it comes to uh, curing blindness, all, I mean, so many things, the doors have now been opened that I think there's going to be like when researchers like look back like at this point in time there will be a time of you know a pre mrna vac- medications and treatments and then post and we're we in the knee of that curve right now uh, it's it's really exciting stuff so this is like a whole new frontier when it comes to vaccines and whatnot you know it opens up so many new possibilities kind of sounds like to me the way you're describing it like what the the train meant for transportation versus traveling by horseback right yes am i I right about that yeah more more or less yeah um 
but if, uh, especially Moderna. Moderna is an awesome company in terms of like what they're looking into, what they're trying to do with radical life extension and curing all kinds of crazy diseases. If you guys want to see an awesome commentary on that, I highly suggest you've watched Knee the Curves video on Moderna, which he did in the very beginning of the pandemic. And he really encapsulates what is like really going to be happening here in the very near future. So very cool shit. I'm excited. I'll be getting the vaccine that as soon as I'm, as soon as I'm uh, eligible for it mm-hmm. and uh, I'll report awesome. back here how it goes. Awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. I just hope one thing that is on my mind a little bit regarding this is I hope people getting these vaccines don't start having side effects and stuff. Cause that's going to scare everybody else from wanting to take the vaccine. I have heard there were a few cases of Bell's palsy, which is a temporary condition appearing in some people. Basically what's happening is uh, people are temporarily experiencing uh, paralysis in half their body for like a few days, but then I think they get better. Um, I tried looking more into this and I really, I kind of like hit a dead end when it came to receiving information which is concerning as well you know there's all sorts of internet censorship going on now especially around this vaccine um you know there's there is false information out there that the big tech companies don't want us to have but whenever you kind of have that kind of censorship regime you're inevitably going to also be silencing good information so hopefully it's nothing to be concerned about but if this bell's palsy thing is a big deal and it's real we're going to hear more and more about it because more and more people are going to have these symptoms as more and more people get vaccinated so that is a concern of mine it's that's definitely on my mind um yeah it's worth keeping in mind you know i think the explanation or the most recent explanation i've heard in terms of the bell's palsy thing happening is that the rate of occurrence of bell's palsy wasn't outside the norm of what it happens like naturally like when you have X amount of people in a group, and then this percentage of them gets like you know those types of symptoms. And it wasn't any more than what is already naturally occurring. So, but I but the weird thing is that I think it, it happened right after they had the vaccine, right? Yeah, it's, I mean, it definitely people, definitely something <laughs> worth keeping in mind. How I mean, people don't spontaneously just get Bell's palsy without some kind of catalyst. So, uh, I think I, I think sometimes they do, yeah, but they do. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I mean, not always, but I do think I, th- I think it's a neurological thing that you can just kind of like wake up with one day. Wow, uh, that's scary. That's even scarier than potentially getting it from the vaccine, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, what the fuck happened last night? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what I do? Oh man, never having tequila again. Uh, <laughs> um. <laughs> All right. Anything uh, else on the vaccine before we go on to the electoral college? No, I don't think so. Yeah, let's move right along. Yeah, so okay. big day tomorrow. Vaccines number one. Number two is the electoral college vote. Yeah, I think if um, the the Trump true believers they are still holding out that they are going to be able to quote unquote stop the steal. Yeah, they had a huge demonstrations out in D.C. again last night. Thousands of people showing up, way more Proud Boys at this at this, uh, at this protest than there was last go around, and shit got 
pretty heated last night. People got stabbed. People got, I mean, just brutally beaten. It was a rough night last night. Um, hopefully, now hopefully, that this Supreme Court, not Supreme Court, this Electoral College vote tomorrow um, will be the final nail in all this ridiculous shenanigans going on in the street. Yeah. And especially in Washington, it's you know, it's um, the the people the people that are fanning the flames about this being a stolen election. You know, it's not just people online; these are also you know elected representatives in Congress that are you know fanning the flames, encouraging people to go out and protest, insisting that the election was stolen and is not legitimate. So hopefully tomorrow we can well put it to rest until January. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, uh, tomorrow will be a uh, another historic day in this already historic election. Yeah, I, I'm really just keeping my fingers crossed that that President Trump will just give Joe Biden a call tomorrow after the vote and formally concede. I don't see it happening, but you know, just for the sake of our democracy, that's what I'm I'm hoping will happen. Um, I had CNN on earlier today and uh, David Gergen was on, who's a recurring commentator on CNN. And uh, I, I find him to be um, <clears throat> a bright guy. You know, he's made many points over, over the years that I kind of, kind of liked. And he kind of compared this, what's going on right now in this country uh, with, with Trump and a lot of, Republicans, Trump Republicans, I'll call them, saying that this election was stolen. He drew a comparison to uh, like 1918, 1919 Germany. After the war, you had a lot of people in the military coming back saying, Germany wasn't defeated. We won, but it was stolen from us. And that's the same messaging that's going on right now. You know, the Trump people are saying, we won the election, but it was stolen. We were stabbed in the back. So what happens over the next couple of years, you know, the next decade or so, um, are they going to continue that messaging that the election was stolen? You can't trust democracy here anymore. Um, you know, so uh, hopefully we could put Humpty Dumpty back together a little bit, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And uh, you know, hopefully tomorrow will be the nail in the coffin, but I don't see it coming. And I, think that uh i hate to say it but i think that messaging is just going to continue and hopefully we don't go down that path that germany went down um you know of course we'll have to see uh, what trump does in four years but it could be another trump republican could be his son or his daughter or somebody aligned with them running in 2024 on that same message that it was rigged and if they take power back in the future and they and their base doesn't trust our democracy, you better believe that they're, at that point, they're going to throw the kitchen sink at trying to end elections in this country, you know, destroy our democracy at that point. Um, so uh, definitely something to, to look out for. Oh, yeah. I think, well, I think one thing it's always important to keep in mind here, too, is that this this wave of, of chaos and uncertainty, this is not just going to be washed away come the Biden administration. Uh, I think certainly it will perhaps slow it down for a little while, mm-hmm. but 
it's going to be crazy like this for the next, I mean, if we're lucky, five years, more likely it's going to be like this for the next 10 years. And worst case scenario, it's going to be like this for 15 years. So we have a very wide window of things that go terribly wrong. And so especially right now with everything being so fragile already, I mean, it seems like our, our democracy is to a certain extent really at risk. Um, people's livelihoods are being destroyed. Like it's, that's not even a question anymore. It's not a matter of like, if, if livelihoods are going to be destroyed, it's, it's coming down to how many and what percentage. It's a, it's a catalyst of something that potentially just could explode. And will we see, will, will that result in some kind of color, color revolution? Will it re, uh, actually result in an armed um, resurrection? Will it lead to secession? Um, these are the things that I really keep in mind in the, in the big picture of like, you know, does this make the cold civil war um, <laughs> warmer or colder? And more often than not, uh, I think it warms things up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so we're going to, we're going to have the, the electoral college vote tomorrow. And then uh, obviously they're still going to try to stop the steal and we'll, we'll see more drama. Um, play out whenever Mike Pence has to vote or uh, count the vote, certify the electoral vote uh, come next month. So, w- which we saw last, last go around too. You know, um, mm-hmm. we, we watched yeah, that. Be interesting. Uh, it's, uh, today you and I watched the electoral college certification from 2016 of where, I mean, there was faithless electors voting for Colin Powell. Um, uh, there was Kasich uh, got yeah, John Kasich. Bernie, yeah. Bernie Sanders got a vote. Yeah, um, there was also the uh, anti-Keystone XL pipeline protester. Her name is Face Spotted Eagle. She got a... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't... Yeah, I didn't know. I heard that. I didn't know who that was. Or <laughs> I thought it was like a God national bird for a state or something. <laughs> uh, okay, that's a, that's a, a person. Yeah, and there was protests there wow. too. Um, uh, I, I'm sure we'll see a similar thing of where the... Um, House, House Democrats tried to object to the electoral uh, college vote, but they couldn't get anyone in the Senate because they didn't have the majority to agree to the objection. I'm sure we will see the same thing from uh, Republicans this time around as well. There's, but it's all drama. It's all hearsay. It doesn't really have any um, weight in changing the electoral college unless something very crazy happens, right? Yeah. I, um, last week, there was like a last-ditch effort kind of uh, by the Republicans to change the outcome of the election. Um, something I just want to note <laughs> real quick right here, because when I first heard this, I was just like, hey, I'm like, what the hell? That's that's the, that's the, the, the argument. Um, Texas... Uh, basically sued the attorney general of texas ken paxton filed a suit uh basically saying that pennsylvania and and michigan um four states i forget which four battleground states specifically but he was essentially arguing that the law wasn't followed in those states now each state in the united states gets to set its own rules regarding how elections are conducted um Ken Paxton was basically saying that there was fraud in these states regarding mail-in ballots and whatnot. But 
how is Texas harmed by another state and how they conduct their elections? You know, because when you when you vote for president, what you're really voting for is is a slate of electors to go to the electoral college to vote for the candidate that that state voted for. You know, you're not directly voting for Trump or Biden when you write that on your ballot. So what happened in Pennsylvania doesn't change the outcome in Texas. Mm -hmm. Texas is still going to be voting for Donald Trump tomorrow. Um, so it, it was just unique because, I mean, it's, it's, it's law 101. You can't sue if you don't have standing, right? You need to be able to show that you've personally been harmed in order, in order to sue. Uh, so the Supreme, the Supreme Court like threw that out right away. And, um, you know, just, just made me wonder, because it, it was obvious it was going to be thrown out. I think this, this case was uh, first announced on either Monday or Tuesday, and it was thrown out by Friday. I remember thinking at the time, like, I, I, I have no background on law, but I remember thinking there's no way the Supreme Court even takes on this case. And uh, it's exactly what happened. They threw it out. Um, so I'm wondering, was that just a political stunt or something? I mean, it, it can't I mean, be it's... good. It can't be good for Ken Paxton's career, I wouldn't think, because if you're the attorney general, you should know you should know that you should know that you don't have a case. So at least you would uh, hope they you would hope they do. I mean, yeah. that's what that's what it's been with. Like, I think it's uh, 57 court cases so far. The only time they've won was it came into mail in voting or whether or not ballots to be cast or be counted like six days or nine days afterwards. And that was only dealing with like 100 ballots. Like, that's the only thing they've. Like they, that's the only court case they've won so far, mm -hmm. and I, all the like all the recounts they demanded, and it come most of these recounts come back with Joe Biden getting more votes than what he already had before going into it. It's it's yeah, amazing it's, that mm -hmm. a vaccine is rolling out tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's no steal going on though. <laughs> there's no steal to stop. This is democracy in action right. um it's like on one hand yeah it's like bring it back to the vaccine it's like yeah it's incredible it's such an achievement that we've reached and then talk about the electoral politics going right on right now and it's such a fucking dumpster fire it is it's it like is. man it's like i can't believe this is the same country yeah yeah, yeah. um speaking of electoral politics though um, I think there was one bright spot last week. If you want to go on to the stimulus negotiations already. What do you say? Should we do that or we got more to go on? Did we miss anything with the Electoral College? No, let's move on. Let's talk move about on. my boy. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Senator Josh <laughs> Hawley. Dude, you told me a few weeks ago that I should look into him a little bit more. And uh, you're right, real interesting dude, and I think it's really admirable, uh, you know, what he's doing currently regarding the stimulus checks. But mm -hmm. he's your senator, so why don't you uh, talk about that? All right, so it was on Thursday um, in a, a very cool bipartisan agreement. Um, a the Missouri one of the Missouri State Senators Josh Halley, along with Senator Bernie Sanders, went to the Senate floor saying that they would vote for the the one week extension 
for the uh, the rollback, the government funding. But next week, if the stimulus or the the same stimulus payments that were paid out in the first care act, if they were not incorporated into the next round of a uh, of uh, coronavirus funding, that they were going to block the vote for any further government spending programs. And so it essentially resulted in another government shutdown. So some very serious fighting words from two people on very different sides of the political spectrum. However, I mean, this is one thing I, I've kind of always felt. And, and I, I think if people realize that like the like one, one, ideological, one ideology populist is going to have a lot in common with another ideology populist being that if, if, if populists can get together, they can make a lot of shit happen. I mean, yeah. Bernie Sanders is definitely a populist running on Medicare for all uh, the green new deal, all that, you know, the, 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 the uh, federal jobs guarantee Josh Holly and, and another frame or another vein is also a populist speaking to bringing back the, the jobs, to the rust belt, being hard on China, being hard on big tech. Um, if these people can figure out a way to actually cooperate and align themselves, man, we could get so much done in this country. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to to see that happen on Friday with Josh Hawley and, Sen- and Senator Sanders <laughs> working together, speaking highly of each other, focused on one singular goal, it was it was a great thing. And this is uh, that's one positive aspect of populist politics that I think. It's something that should be more common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the bipartisanship was definitely uh, very welcoming. Um, basically, uh, to just just sum up and back up a little bit uh, what, what what you said last week, not even last week on Friday, um, Congress and the president uh, decided that we will they're they're going to extend funding for another week. Um, we were going to have a government su- shutdown if nothing was agreed upon this last Friday, the 11th. And basically in the 11th hour, they pushed through uh, some temporary funding measures that just kept funding at current levels going for another week. So next week, uh, this this these uh, government funding discussions and stimulus uh, discussions are going to be ongoing. They're not just talking about stimulus. This is talking about funding everything for our government. Um, remember a few years ago, we had, we had those shutdowns and uh, um, we definitely don't need that right now on top of the pandemic because we already have a lot of people out of work as a result of the pandemic. That'd be more people temporarily, you know, unemployed and, uh, just uh, wouldn't be a good situation. Uh, so they temporarily extended uh, current funding levels. And um, the reason why they're having a hard time uh, with this stimulus package is because the Democrats and the Republicans, they, they kind of want different things. The, the Republicans, they don't want to spend more than uh, um, $908 billion. They have a very firm price tag. They don't want it to be a penny bigger than that. The Democrats, um, I think, are the ones who are, are really pushing most of the actual spending items in that bill, and the Republicans are more concerned about the price tag. Um, but um, 
there are two issues in particular that both sides definitely want to see happen. The, the Democrats, um, uh, they want uh, more aid for state and local governments. The Republicans basically see that as bailing out the blue states that uh, you know aren't very good with their money, essentially. Um, the Republicans want more liability protections for businesses so they can't be sued for coronavirus-related issues. Um, and the Democrats don't want that too much. So I actually found it kind of interesting because uh, I, I really dislike Mitch McConnell. But last week, I actually thought he uh, put forth something that was, you know, kind of um, I was able to stomach, <laughs> for lack of a better word. He basically said, why don't we just scrap the two most contentious issues, the uh, state and local government funding and the business liability protections, just take that out of the bill altogether and vote on everything else. Um, so uh, that's, that could be happening next week. Um, but not a part of that bill was the, any kind of direct checks for, for Americans. It seems like neither side, um, absent Josh Hawley and Bernie Sanders, uh, neither the Republicans or the Democrats are, are really fighting all that hard for, for all the people you know, um, mm -hmm. for stimulus checks for all the people. Donald Trump wants to send out more checks. He likes having his name on it. Um, and there's, there's this interesting faction forming um, a bipartisan faction, people on both sides who do support direct cash relief. Um, Trump is act has actually floated, uh, maybe we'll just do 600 and not a full $1,200. Um, I, I guess, I mean, he would send he'd sign 1200. I think he'd sign basically pretty much any amount to be honest with you. I don't think he's an ideologue. I don't think he really cares about the deficit or anything like that. He just wants to make himself look good and his name next to a big number going out to, to people that looks good. Right. Well, the, uh, the catch with the Trump 600, well, the $600 um, stimulus was that was in lieu of any expanded um, federal unemployment benefits. So the you know how well, people right I guess right now are getting three hundred dollars extra and um and unemployment benefits before it was six hundred with the Trump White House plan it was all right so we'll send out six hundred dollar checks but that's it so you get one six hundred dollar check but no more federal expanded federal unemployment that was just mm -hmm. gone which I think mm -hmm. is probably a pretty terrible <laughs> idea right about now yeah, but yeah. I mean like what's like what's the magic number for federal unemployment. Um, I'm not entirely sure. I think, I mean, I'm not going to be the kind of person that stands in the way of putting cash in people's hands. So um, yeah. I think, I think more is more is always better. Um, I, I, I think, uh, I think we should have done a UBI type approach instead of unemployment, but mm -hmm. hey, it's people, people got the help they deserved the only reason that the economy stayed juiced the way that it was was because of, of that extra 600 bucks people were getting when they were yeah. unemployed. And that's something that also can't be denied as well. Mm -hmm. And that like every mainstream economist is kind of saying that too, you know, we need to put right. money in the hands of, of everyday people, get money out to the, to the people. So Jerome Powell has been saying for a while now, the uh, chair of the federal reserve, he's, been trying to encourage Congress to actually do something 
do their job and they haven't. Um, regarding the UBI thing that you just said, yeah, I, I think that recurring universal payments to everybody through the duration of this pandemic, I mean, I think it should be permanent, but especially during this pandemic, that would have been a much better way to go about this versus the expanded unemployment benefits because that kind of created a situation where, you know, you could be working at a supermarket doing frontline work, essentially. I mean, I remember like early on in, the, in this crisis when we knew nothing about how contagious this was or we didn't really know anything about this virus. Mm -hmm. we would, we, all, everybody was panicking. Um, the poor people who had to work at the supermarket still had to go into work while, you know, everybody else you know, all the, these, these people, um, a lot of people able to work from home and whatnot, you know, the, the supermarket people who are making minimum wage didn't lose their jobs. Demand for them showing up at work went up, if, if anything, because there were runs on, on the supermarkets. Um, people receiving unemployment were actually making more money than the heroes working in the supermarkets. Oh, yeah, drastically too. We're not talking about yeah. like a, a small amount. We're talking like so here in Missouri, if you were making like less than twenty-two bucks an hour, you were better off taking unemployment. Which federal or the uh, state minimum wage here is like I think eight eight twenty-five. So it's like, do you want do you want a twelve-dollar an hour wage or raise? Yeah. Of course you do. So what's it? What's what was the point of working when you can make twelve dollars more an hour mm -hmm. staying at home? Mm -hmm. Just just insulting, really. I mean. I would be insulting, insulted if I was, uh, you know, putting myself at risk for a real job and somebody else is, is getting unemployment um, and more money than I was too. Um, and maybe that person, they were probably unemployed because they weren't in an essential position or something. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. Just It just wouldn't have been good. I would have much rather this money go out to everybody and it would basically be a bonus for the people who still have their jobs. They're working at that supermarket. The UBI would be a, a bonus going to them. And for people who are out of work, it, it, they'd still have income. They wouldn't have lost their income. It just would have been better all around. And if you're really concerned about giving money to people who don't need it, which is like the big argument for why we should just be expanding unemployment benefits and not giving it to everybody. If that's your real concern, then tax it back at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. In a few months, we're going to be doing our taxes and the government's going to figure out who did well in 2020 and who did shitty. If mm -hmm. you did well in 2020, uh, you know, the government could just take back those universal basic income payments. I mean, it's not complicated stuff. No, and we and we've also seen this type of legislation proposed. And we had HR sixty four ninety six. I mean, even Josh Holly, back in I think March or April, proposed something similar to a guaranteed income. It was a, it was a but it was monthly direct payments to workers. So it was something that was supposed to be combined with um, uh, covering eighty percent of uh, workers' wages provided by the federal government. Mm -hmm. It was a very cool program and it, it deserved way more recognition when it was proposed. Like everything, it got swept under the rug. People looked at it and thought, that's, eh, you know, that's, that's un-American. There's no way that can ever work, work here, maybe in, you know, <laughs> some socialist country maybe, but certainly not here. Um, but it was, it was a very interesting 
I, dare I say, progressive proposal proposed from the right. And mm -hmm. I, it's, uh, you know, folks like Josh Holly, which I, I think Josh Holly actually might be kind of on his own island in this, uh, this way of thinking. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, huge, huge props to him. I, uh, I congratulate, I thank him for, for standing up for, for folks like me, folks all around this country. And yeah, it sounds like him and Sanders are really ready to take this to the nuclear level come <laughs> Friday when this uh, yeah. vote is expected. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can avert a government shutdown, but you know, I'm equally hopeful that these, uh, that some form of direct payments to people will be a part of the budget going forward. Um, now I just don't understand how people wouldn't want to put the average person first, you know? Right. Uh, I mean, $908 billion is a shit ton of money. And if that's not going to the people who the hell is it going to, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Matt, right. and it, we, we and like, I mean, it, uh, I said we didn't even talk about the 1.8 trillion that was that was proposed by the White House just a couple months ago that Nancy Pelosi walked oh, away from that yeah. in, that included that included the $1,200 stimulus payments. And why? Because, because she's a bitch. Yeah, because she's a bitch, and because she didn't <laughs> want Trump to win re-election. It was political. They left money on the table, and a lot of people suffered because of it. Um. But math, I want to look at the math here really quick. Um, sure. $1,200 checks. Republicans are putting $908 billion as the ceiling. They don't want to spend over that. If we were to send a $1,200 check out to every American over 18 and $500 to every child in the United States, that would only amount to 35% of that 908 billion dollar figure it, it comes to like uh, 300 and you know 40 million dollars or something something like that roughly only 35 percent of the cap that the republicans want to have right so i mean it's it's not that the republicans are saying no they're just mm -hmm. mostly saying we don't want to spend more than that which means they just got to reprioritize what we spend on you know and and i don't uh, again what i like what i just said a few minutes ago i don't understand how i mean there's there's a lot a lot of programs out there uh, that need to be funded i guess um but how something like direct cash is not top priority is just mm -hmm. beyond me I, I i i i don't understand it right yeah i mean let you know let the let uh, capitalism work itself out. You know, if, uh, if you need state and local funding, we'll give people direct cash payments so they can spend that cash in their local community. And I mean, <laughs> paid in sales tax, you're, you're going to pay for it in your taxes next year. Well, so maybe, um, well, if you're collecting the unemployment benefits, you will be paying that in your taxes next year. So brace yourself for that. And then, I mean, so like also in, in this, this, this 900 some odd billion dollar package, I mean, we're bailing out the, the airline industry again, who's only going to be laying off tens of thousands of workers. I mean, I say give, give money directly to the people, even people who don't need it, because the people who don't need it, where are they going to spend it? Well, they might spend it on the airline industry. They might spend it on the hospitality industry. Mm -hmm. They might spend it in the travel industry. Who fucking knows? But 
I tell you what, the people of this country know how to spend the money better than the fucking government. Mm-hmm. And, and you know how we can make them spend even more money without adding to the deficit or anything? I mean, maybe, maybe long-term this might add to it, but short-term it would involve no funds for. They should do something regarding gift certificates. And I don't know why no one else has thought of this. You know, they should make it so if you buy gift certificates for, for you know, for whatever company right now, write it, it will be a, a write-off for your taxes next year. That will put cash, that will encourage people to, you know, buy gift certificates for the movie theater. And even though people aren't going to the movies right now, maybe those gift certificates will be good for two years. It will put cash in the theater's pockets today. And it will, it will essentially, uh, you know, they will be foregoing revi- future revenue, but it puts cash in their pockets right now, which is what they need. And that would cost the government nothing. Right. Um, it's, it's like that's it, like essentially buying a bond with the company. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, instead of actually you know, yeah. buying like, not, not, yes. not every company can afford to provide bonds because of, yes. you know, for whatever reason. But yeah, you do it in the form of a, of a gift certificate. That's a fucking great idea, man. Yeah, I, I don't I. I tried voicing that on, on Twitter a few times, but, you know, I got like I don't have a ton of followers, you know, I, I, try, I tried getting it out there. I don't know why nobody else has thought of that. It just seems so, so obvious. And, and it, it wouldn't cost the government anything other than, uh, you know, if, if you're making a tax write off, the government would take in less money in the future, but that's the future. You know, I mean, it doesn't cost right. them any money right now, which is, I think the more important figure, um, yeah, which, which right now the government in, in a lot of ways is is picking winners and losers. Mm-hmm. And I really don't like that. I mean, sure, they did some stuff with the PPP and that's, you know, that really some some businesses, you know, live and died by whether or not they were able to secure that PPP loan protection. So, I mean, that was good. However, I mean, we also saw a lot of fraud in that program too, where you had companies like uh, Shake Shack and like the Lakers being approved yeah. for it. And yeah. then tons of small businesses being cut out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, money I, directly I, into the hands of people is, is the correct way to go. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. And regarding the bailouts, I'm just, I'm tired of the bailouts, I'm tired of bailing out these companies at taxpayer <laughs> expense, the airlines, right? especially, you know, they, they should have been prepared for some kind of black swan event. Uh, you know, instead, over the years, they've just been giving a ton of money back to shareholders through dividends and buybacks. And mm-hmm. I, I'm a guy who plays the stock market. You know, I am not anti-buyback or anti-dividend. Quite the opposite. But certain industries should be prepared for for catastrophes. I mean, there was a situation like 10 years ago where travel was completely shut down between Europe and North America. There was a volcano that went off and travel was suspended for like a month or something. And a lot of airlines, they, they, they struggled tremendously during that period. And then just relatively a few years later, uh, they get a tax cut from, from the Trump administration, which should have gone into some kind of rainy day fund, in my opinion. Instead, those tax cuts went straight to dividends and stock buybacks, which does nothing 
to actually help the company. It just it just enriches shareholders, um, and, and you know it, it totally defeats the argument against why tax cuts are a good thing in the first place. Yes, um, exactly. It, it's not like, also you know if these airlines went belly up, it's not like the fucking airplanes disappear. Right, 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 right. <laughs> like, they, they would have to sell off assets. They would have to do what every other company has to do when they go through the bankruptcy process. Right. And then perhaps a, a new company that was more fiscally responsible would arise from the ashes of some of these yes. companies that They'd could buy survive. Those cheap planes. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Let the market play itself out. That's capitalism. That's a free market. What we're doing is not free market economics a bailout is is socialism for the rich essentially and it, it's not it, it's just it's just messed up man you know I, I i feel like i feel like the government doesn't care about average people they just care about voting blocks and and they see the airline industry which employs a lot of people as a potential voting block and they want those people that show up and, and vote for them, you know? Yeah, well, it's not it's, so much a voting block. It's a, it's a, it's a donor block, yeah. really. Yes, I mean, yes. That's the, the donor class. Right, that's, I mean, right. that, that's, where you, that's where you get all that Boeing, that Raytheon money. That's mm-hmm. where all that comes from. Mm-hmm. That too. That it's, too. It's, part, it's, it's the fucking military industrial complex right there. Yeah. They, they're funding all these, they're funding campaigns for politicians on, bo- on both sides of the aisle. Mm-hmm. And you have the actual people who work for the industries whose jobs are essentially being being taken hostage, you know, like if we don't get p- more PPP money, we're going to have to lay off all these airline attendants. Uh, and it's just yeah, they're being laid off anyway, you know, they're being laid off anyway. And if there was uh, a, a direct cash program, an ongoing direct cash program, it wouldn't be as big of a deal if they were laid off. And then once yep. the economy starts doing better, the airlines would hire again and these people would get their jobs back. You know, it, it, the, the problem that we should be trying to solve in a, in a time of crisis is how do we keep income steady and, and how do we make sure the bills continue to be paid? How do we keep the wheel moving by worrying about employment status? You're, you're totally missing the ball. It, it, you know, em, employment isn't what's important. Income is what's important. And the two can mm-hmm. be detangled if we allow that. Right. And also, you know, keep in mind of what ends in uh, essentially two and a half weeks from now is the eviction uh, mandatory or memoratorium. How do you say the word? Help me out here. Uh, but anyway, the, the, the yeah. pause memorandum, yeah. the yeah. pause and the evictions of which they have like 5 million people on the hook right now, that goes away. Very yeah. soon, at the end yeah. of the year. Yeah. Moratorium. Thank you, honey. <laughs> Moratorium. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, memorandum. Yes. That's a different word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, oh, man. but man, that, that's, I mean, the, the, uh, the, the, I mean, the financial crisis in, in uh, 2008, 2009, the rate of homelessness that that led to back then, mm-hmm. man, this is even way worse than that. So I, it's off subject now, but um. You know, what, what we see right now in, um, in Portland with the, what they're calling the Red House Autonomous Zone. Uh, do, do you know what I'm talking about here? 
Uh, you know, I did hear about this, but I didn't look into it at all. But yeah, right, I'm so, very interested if you want to go into that a little bit. I know so nothing about it though. Yeah, I'll break it down. Like, I'm not an expert on this uh, this subject either. I wasn't planning on talking about it today either. But so there's a uh, there's this uh, this couple who's living in this this red house in, in Portland who is being evicted because of uh well they've evidently been in this house for a very long time. Uh, I believe the 60s or 70s. They've however they've refinanced uh, a few times along the way, extending the period of their mortgage. Um, well, long, very long story short, yeah, they're having trouble meeting their payments right now, and they came to evict them. And when they did, they were met by a huge group of protesters who drove back the police that came to evict these people. And what I think, why I think this is very important, why, why it matters on, on the national scale, is because we're going to see people be evicted all over this nation. The rate of homelessness is going to drastically increase. And that's going to be something, whether whether or not these $1,200 payments get passed or not, this is beyond that. There is really no saving this crisis that's coming. Mm-hmm. And that's very, I mean, if you look at the, the homelessness in California right now, under every overpass, you have these huge tent cities. If you, yeah. Same thing out in Vegas. I mean, and, and, and those are just like two of the hotbeds, but it's all over the country. If you're hearing this podcast right now, I'm sure you're seeing an increase of homelessness in your neighborhoods, in your community already. This is something that, that's really going to ex- explode here very soon. And it's only going to add to the rising tensions in this country. So do you think that so, should that be like something for the federal government to solve or should... Should this be left to local governments? Well, this also ties back in direct cash payments. You know, this is something that if you could you could have prevented this, you could have beat this back. You could have slowed this train down with direct cash payments since the beginning of this pandemic. And something like I mentioned earlier, HR sixty four ninety six, which would have provided cash recurring monthly direct cash payments for the duration of the crisis until unemployment levels reach pre-COVID numbers, mm-hmm. which it was basically a rock solid, perfect bill, which yeah, there, there was an income gap. I, forget, I think it was 75, a hundred thousand. So like you had to be within this economic threshold to receive these funds, but man, like what's going to happen to millions of people yeah. is Number one, heartbreaking. Number two, terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Um, I do know part of the stimulus package that hopefully gets uh, approved is going. There will be provisions in there extending the uh, the uh, rent moratorium, um, but we'll have to see if it passes. Um, but. When you think of a, a rent moratorium, the federal government basically intervening in in lo- local, um, uh, you know, to pay for your rent or whatever. Um, rent is drastically different all over the country. A twelve hundred dollar check more than covers my monthly rent here in in Austin, Texas. I left New York because the rent is too damn high there 
and I came to Texas. Um, a federal rent moratorium program essentially is redistributing wealth from, you know, uh, areas that do have the rent under control and giving it to areas where they have existing problems. Now, I mean, we got to do something. We can't have this. Uh, we can't have people being thrown out of their houses as a result of this, this, this crisis. We got to do something. But the point that I'm trying to make is direct cash would have been a much fairer way to go about this recurring direct cash because, you know, some people, their problem is the rent is too damn high. Other people, their problem is, their business is struggling you know other people maybe they just just lost their job you know we all have we're all unique individuals and, and we all have our own unique needs direct cash if nothing else will is the one program that would have helped everybody it would have cast a, a very large net here um it would have been much more fair uh you know, and it, and if New York City wants to do something locally because they have an exceptional problem with 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 the rent being too damn high, then they can do something on top of what the federal government is doing in terms of direct cash. But you know, personally, I, I don't I don't really think that you know my tax money should be going to New York. I don't. <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, you know, I, I, we're in the situation I, I agree. Now, you know, but yeah. Yeah, you know, I also you know, I don't feel like my tax money should be going to Boeing or the airline industries either. Mm-hmm. You know, if, right. if if we got tens of tens of billions billions of dollars for them, man, I've uh, the 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 bleeding heart liberal in me has a hard time being upset with money going to people who can't make rent or their right. mortgage payments. Right. Um. I, I, I but you know, I think what we're seeing though with the protests at, at the Red House is. We, something that we will see much more often. Um, yeah, and also I that is a so. that is a fucking that's a fucking great way to protest too, right there. God damn it, I, I was never really on board with the uh, uh, with the whole Black Lives Matter movement against police brutality for a bunch of reasons that I won't get into in this podcast. However, seeing direct community action against people being thrown out of their fucking house in the middle of a goddamn pandemic, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a good yeah, reason no, to fight I, back the cops. Fight the power on that one right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and and on, on this respect, I will say, fuck the police and do everything you can <laughs> to keep people in their homes right now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We we just the most important thing is just keeping people in their homes. And the only thing I'm trying to point out is there would have been a better way to go about that, a more equitable way, I think. Um, but you know, our government is just not smart. Um, the other thing, uh, quick point I want to make regarding the bailouts, if we're bailing out Boeing and, and all these other companies, people should be receiving stock. Taxpayers should get yeah. stock for that, you know, and it, you can, you can, it's, it's possible, um, to give fractions of shares to people. Right. So if the math doesn't work out where you can't give everybody a whole share, you can give people, you know, a hundredth of a share of Boeing, you know, whatever money that these companies are getting from the government. So I want to make one distinction. If if you were caught totally flat footed 
when uh, when if your business was caught totally flat-footed when this virus first went down and there was nothing that you could have done to to uh, prevent it from from impacting your business um, then yeah. you know maybe you shouldn't have to give over equity in your company all right but the airlines an industry that should have had a rainy day fund but didn't because they knew that they would be bailed out if anything went wrong uh, that's not kosher those companies should have to give up equity to the taxpayer. Um, I don't want the government having a, a, a commanding position and being able to tell these companies what to do, how to manage their affairs. I'm advocating for people like you and I receiving, uh, all, you know, all you got just open up a brokerage account and boom, you have fractions of American Airlines. You could sell it to help pay for the rent. You could hold it and wait for it to appreciate. Uh, you, you know, and everyone can make that decision for themselves. It'd be another way of putting cash in the hands of, of, of people. It'd be a way to reimburse the taxpayer for these bailouts. And it would set a precedent going forward that, you know, if, if you want to do risky things, if you're a business and you want to do risky things and you don't want to have a rainy day fund, um, and you're just going to, your if your game plan is just to grow and grow and grow and employ as many people as possible so that you become too big to fail, mm-hmm. we'll bail you out. No problem. But we're going to do it smiling because we're going to get compensated. We're going to get share money. It, you know, yeah. that should be a, a, a good thing for the people. But right now it's like whenever a company gets a bailout, the people have to foot the bill and everyone's pissed off about it. It's exactly. the only way to fix it. Yeah, I, I saw your tweet about that, and I was like, "God damn, that's a good." It's a it's a populist capitalist idea that I see no downside to. Because if we're going to treat these companies like public utilities, then the public should get something back from it. Like if we're yeah. going to bail them out time and time again, as if they're some kind of public institution, then yes, there, there should be a direct benefit back to the public. Yes. Definitely, and getting it's, more it's, people. It's a pretty great. Getting more people involved in the stock idea. market is good in general, anyway. Especially if since we're a capitalist society, you know, you, we want more people to have exposure, mm-hmm. and um, uh, it, it would just—it would only be good. There is no downside, like you said. No, absolutely not. I mean, it also, I, I mean, if the if the institution or the, the business is willing, to, like, as you said, to make these risky ventures in terms of stock buybacks and stuff, that's really only to benefit their shareholders. Well, yeah, people would be way less butthurt when, <laughs> when it comes bailout time, when they, when they fuck up inevitably. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a really cool idea. I'm sure it's never going to gain any traction or go anywhere, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, dude, people- People are talking like, I, I, about I, I, it a little bit, at least. You know, this man, one, I've, man, I, I, I've, I've, I've heard some people mention it online. The coupon idea I had, have, I haven't heard anyone <laughs> say anything like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, hopefully, I, I don't think it's going to go anywhere, but hopefully, hopefully uh, they, they take a look at something like this. Yeah, I love it. it it's a, it's a, there, there is really no downside. There's also no reason why it wouldn't work, mm-hmm. right? Right. Like, like no one would be disenfranchised. No one would be left out. If you're, uh, I, I guess you could say if you're, if you put about the same metric 
or the same um, uh, means testing as a, as the CARES package. Well, then you know if you're not a taxpayer, maybe you get screwed or left out or whatever. But by and large, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people people are always going to bitch about anything that gets rolled out because it's not <laughs> going to cover everybody. But right. Yeah, I really I really like that idea. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Hopefully, hopefully it gains a little bit more traction. Um, I know uh, Dan Price, Seattle, <laughs> was talking about it. That guy. Uh, um, oh, nice. Yeah. Um, well, and he's it, got a bit of a mouthpiece. So. Um, yeah, yeah. Dan Price. Dan Price is one of those guys that like I want to hate, <laughs> but he's such a goddamn good guy. He's yeah. actually legit. That's like, man. <laughs> like, I can, yeah. <laughs> you can't help but love him. But yeah, man, he's, he's, like, he's there a is, good guy. I, I, yeah. I, I disagree with a lot of what he says, but every once in a while, he's got this idea that I'm like, wow, that's a great idea. And, yeah. um, you know, overall, even, even when I disagree with him, he's obviously coming from a good place. Um, I think our friend, uh, our mutual friend, uh, uh, Distan, was surprised when I said something nice about Dan Price once. He's like, why do you like <laughs> Dan Price? I'm like, dude, I, I, I like people and hate people on both sides of the aisle. You know, I don't, I don't really care yeah. if they're liberal or conservative or Democrat or Republican. It, it, that's not what matters. It's character, you know, and I mean, mm-hmm. not a little bit of policy too, but you know, character is really the most important thing when it comes to whether yeah, or not I a, like somebody, you know? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Dan, he's a, a genuine good dude, and I wish him all the success in the world. And um, I, uh, man, I would I would like to see some of the things he's done with his company to be implemented in others to see, or you know, to kind of to prove that it's not just him and where he's at that that is the only place that it works that it can work elsewhere too. Yeah. Um, so his his company, um, we, we should give him a shout out. Um, do you know the name of his company off offhand? Uh, if you give me two seconds to look it up, but uh, I don't want to get it wrong. That's why I didn't uh, say it. So all right, so 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 you look it up. But essentially, what he did was he uh, a few years ago he took a, a pay cut. Um, he was the CEO and founder of a, a global um, payments company actually i don't know if his company's global but they process uh, electronic payments and he took a, a major pay cut from a few million dollars and brought it all the way down to i think seventy thousand dollars a year and he was comfortably i mean yes he was making a few million before that um but he also raised the minimum wage at his company to seventy thousand dollars so anyone anybody who works for his company makes at least seventy thousand dollars and you know, it, it's a unique social experiment in a way because it boosted morale at the company. And with that was a boost in productivity. Um, and, and the company seems to be much healthier um, since this change uh, was undertaken uh, than before. You know, I'm not saying every company should complete make a completely flat pay structure like that. That is a little bit radical in a way extreme but, yes. you know when you when your ceo is making like like a thousand times that of your lowest employee that's that's kind of problematic and this what he did what dan price demonstrates is that companies that have that crazy income 
disparity can actually increase production by um, increasing the wages uh, from the bottom. And, and you could do so by pay cuts at the top. Yes. Uh, uh, gravity payments, by the way. Gra yes. That's gravity payments. Um, yeah. Interesting company. All right. So let's, let's move on to Tulsi Gabbard's Protect Women's Sports Act. This, I should mention, uh, she is a co-sponsor of uh, with uh, uh, Republican Representative Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma should give him his due credit there as well. They are the co-sponsors of the Protect Women's Sports Act. I didn't know women's sports were under threat. Um, what's going on with that? <laughs> so you'd have to kind of get into the history of what Title IX is and how Title IX funding plays into uh, this legislation. Um, so um, a, a brief history on um, what title title nine of the education amendments in 1972 it prohibits sex discrimination in any education program or activity that receives federal financial assistance so there was a uh, there were some scandals uh back in the 70s and late 60s that were you had um scholarships or um things uh, things of uh such nature for uh, for men, but not for women. How to get in the get in the schools? There was also issues with uh, certain college sports teams, um, the the male counterpart receiving funding and the and the females not getting any. Like uh, there was one example, uh, I, I forget what school it was, but there was an unused um, gym for a, a basketball court being uh, that was at the, at the school, but. They wouldn't allow the women to to play on because, well, because they were women. It was a men's court, and well, the federal government got involved and said, "Hey, you guys can't be doing this because you, you are discriminating based on biological sex." So, Tulsi Gabbard is providing a, an amendment to Title IX, which would uh, um, sex shall be determined on the basis of biological sex as determined at birth by a physician. So, um, regarding sports, lot, yes, right, yes, yes, for sports. Um, so a lot of the um, pro, I'm not sure how do you say pro trans community that the 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 woke progressive leftists, I guess, are are upset about this, saying that this uh, discriminates against transgenders. They're excluding biological men from participating in or I'm sorry, they're, they're excluding trans men from uh, participating in um, men's sports or vice versa, trans women competing in women's sports. In my opinion, um, this is not that. And what this really is, it's, it's, it's not anti-trans. It's not anything like that. It's pro-woman more than anything. And it, it's, it's a proposal that would clearly define a situation that is fraught with controversy as it is already. And it, it clarifies the original intent of Title IX. And once again, this is, this is not a, a huge sweeping thing. Uh, it only affects the federal funding of sports. Mm -hmm. like it's, it's not telling people what they can and can't do. On a large part, it's only telling what you can and can't do in terms of discrimination based on 
biological gender if you are receiving federal funds from the government. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, this has become a very contentious issue because the woke crowd, of course, you know, anything that seems obvious can become contentious to them. The problem here is essentially men becoming women and then joining women's sports and totally crushing it. Um, And, you know, there are, there's like, like records being shattered left and right in women's sports by trans athletes. And and they're only like a very small uh, amount of the overall athletes in women's sports. You know, they, they, they already have an outsized proportion of, of, of like titles and whatnot. And the reason is if you're, if your body has been receiving testosterone for 20 years and then in college you decide you know, you're, you're actually a woman, you're going to have a biological advantage in sports. It's just the way it is. Um, a few years ago, there was a, a, an, an MMA fighter who actually broke the skull of, of the female opponent, a, a male to female MMA fighter, uh, Fallon Fox. Uh, he or she broke the skull of, of the female opponent, um, Tamika Brents. That's messed up, you know. I mean, these these are essentially biological men changing their 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 sex after many years of testosterone flowing through that body. You know, I mean, they may not be producing t- testosterone uh, to the levels that they once were, but still, you know, biologically, you know. You, the way the body develops over, over, over all those years is definitely influenced by, by testosterone levels. You can't just cut it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're physically a woman. Uh, It doesn't, that does not make sense. It's not aligned with the science. So this is essentially, you know, making sure that, that women are, are, actually able to play on a, on a level playing field and there aren't, you know, um, male to female trans athletes who are able to crush in every single sport that they join up for. It's not transphobic at all. It's, it's, it's based on the science and, you know, if you're there's no nobody is complaining about it going the other way. Nobody's complaining about women no. uh, becoming men and then competing in men's sports. That's that's fine. There's there's no problem there. If any, they're going to be at a disadvantage because they didn't have the testosterone going on in their bodies for twenty plus years. Even though at the time of joining the sports, they may be taking the pills. They're going to be disadvantaged for the same reason that the male the female trans athletes are advantaged. Um, you know, it, it, this is purely about, you know, um, really protecting women's sports, um, their ability to compete and have fun. Uh, it, it just, it, it just makes sense to me, you know, and I, I don't see how yeah. this is transphobic. No, it's a, people are making it into a way bigger deal than what it is. Um, I, I think the, the, I mean, the alternative, if nothing is done, I mean, then potentially you're going to have biological men stealing scholarships f- 
from deserving biological women. You're going to upset careers. It's going to result in, in injuries. It's going to result in a, uh, an, a, a drastically unfair advantage in a level of, of competition. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, it's so silly. It seems so simple to me, but for, for some reason, for some other people, it's much more complicated. Um, I, I, like if, if we were, if you're talking about physical activity, then yeah, this makes complete perfect sense. If we're talking about like mental cognition, if we're talking about, you know, uh, like playing chess on the competitive level or playing um, like video games on the competitive level, it doesn't matter what your biological right. sex is or gender whatsoever. So of course, it'd be silly to discriminate based on sex in those regards, but in physical competition, that matters. And it matters a lot. Yes. Um, and and we've, I've seen some some other um, sports have taken different approaches. And uh, I, I, I believe it's um, uh, when it comes to some, some type of running, I can't remember if it's like a like triathlon or, um, or whatever, whatever it is. But anyway, they, they were discriminating against on the level of testosterone in the body. So there was one in particular, this one runner that was biological female that was disqualifying from competing in this event because her, her natural testosterone level exceeded the threshold of what they can, what, of what they de- deemed acceptable to compete, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. a, a, a biological, biological female competing in a female event excluded because her naturally occurring testosterone was too high. Was she like taking testosterone pills or something? No, naturally occurring testosterone naturally, levels within yeah, the body. Yeah, if it's natural, yeah. that's that's messed up. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, crazy. Um, I do think, you know, I do think women should be encouraged to try out for more male sports. To be honest with you, I mean, this is kind of like adjacent, I guess, to what we're talking about. But the point I'm trying to make is, it's only a problem when you have individuals with testosterone or who have had the benefits of testosterone over a long period of time joining women's sports where the testosterone levels just aren't the same um right but there there, you uh, know certain sports especially like non-contact sports uh, i think women should definitely be encouraged to try to join the men's team i don't think that should be that big of a deal you know physically they're going to be at at a disadvantage so let them have at it but often that's where the big money is in the men's leagues, you know, like something like, like golf. I do think women are allowed to play men's golf in most cases, but still you don't see it happen all too often. Uh, I think that should be encouraged baseball. It's not really a contact sport. You know, I, I, there are some really big, strong women out there that could kick my ass and your ass at the same time. Um, I could, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are some women that could, uh, Cream some homers, home runs into central field, you know, and uh, in the MLB, um, they just have to try out for it, but they're not in large numbers, which is really surprising to me. Um, there was actually some big news last night. Um, the uh, uh, <clears throat> first woman woman to score in Power Five football uh, just occurred last night. Uh, Vanderbilt University's kicker. Sarah Fuller on the men's team uh, played last night. Uh, I think there were 
I don't think she's normally a starter on the team, but they had a lot of people uh, uh, out with injuries and coronavirus, and she was put in the game, and uh, she scored on two separate extra point attempts. So congratulations to Sandra, uh, to Sarah Fuller. Uh, I, I just think that's that's awesome and uh, should be an inspiration for women. You know, you could try out for the men's team, but men stay away from the women's team. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, um, you know, that, that runner I was talking about. Her name is Semenya. Um, anyway, uh, the, the sports uh, world highest court ruled Wednesday that Olympic gold medalist Caster Semenya and other female runners like her with unusually high testosterone must take medication to reduce their levels of male sex hormone if they want to compete in certain events. In a landmark decision with far-reaching ramifications for other women's sports. So just That's to be ridiculous. very clear, yeah, this is a nationally born female competing in women's sports who just happened to have a higher than average level of testosterone. And she's being told that she must take testosterone limiting medication if she wants to compete with women. That is definitely the wrong approach to take. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I think Tulsi is completely on the right side here and it should be determined on your biological sex not on the levels of hormones in your body testing people for hormones in that capacity is really fucking weird yeah totally 100 percent. you said it very well um should we move on to the the next topic or do we got anything else on this i'm out of uh, wait, out wait, of uh, points. real quick <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, real quick, I'd like to talk on the other legislation that Tulsi has been proposing in the last week. Um, uh, HR 8932, the, the transgender thing is definitely the one getting the most attention. But some other big ones that she has proposed that she is also being co-sponsored with, with some other uh, Republicans. There is a, an amendment to, to Title 18 to, uh, to provide that offense committed on the basis of I'm sorry, let me, let me start over. To amend Title 18, that an offense committed on the basis of political affiliation constitutes a hate crime. So that was co-sponsored with Matt Gates, mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, with the, the rise of politically motivated hate spreading yeah. around this country. Yeah, that sounds like good legislation. Yeah. And, um, so if you're out in the streets, hate, you know, beating on each other, um, it'd be constitute a hate crime which really that's kind of i mean if it's not a hate crime what is it right yeah yeah 100 um, yeah and what's interesting is tulsi gabbard uh she didn't run for re-election so right now she's a lame duck congresswoman essentially um she's gonna she won't be a representative anymore uh after the new congress takes over in january so she's kind of on her way out the door and she's putting forward this kind of legislation. Um, I'm just curious, you know, why now? Uh, what does, does, does the timing mean anything? You know, maybe she mm-hmm. didn't want to do this. I mean, even the last two years, she knew she wasn't going to run for, uh, for re-election probably. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering out loud whether or not the timing has anything to do with it. I don't see how it could. I, I can't connect the dots, but uh, just worth noting that she is on her way out the door. Right. Which is, yeah, which, which is worth noting. Uh, I, I think a lot of times what you see 
when people are not running for re-election, um, they will kind of give you a window into what is inside, what other people are thinking in the party. However, they're, for whatever reason, too afraid or can't come out with these ideas, right? So like there's, there's too much political uh, risk involved. And so they can't come out and say it. So when it comes out to, um, you know, determining um, uh, this trans situation in sports, when it comes into, um, you know, hate crimes uh, for political affiliation, uh, there's also two abortion things that she's proposed. I think what's, let me read about these, um, these abortion ones. Um, so if, if a if a child who survives an abortion or an attempted abortion, the child must be cared for. And then there's also to protect pain-capable unborn children um, from being um, terminated. So these are one thing. Or so why these abortion bills are kind of a big deal, especially coming from a Democrat, is that they address some of the complaints around the the pro-life uh, single issue right-wing voters that, you know, that they want to ban all abortion because sometimes a baby survives or sometimes a baby experiences pain. Well, if we, if we're able to successfully or at least more clearly define where the line is on the accessible, you know, de- development for an abortion, well, it would be easier to keep Roe v. Wade on the books in the long term versus not. So, like, mm-hmm. if, so if we decide not to address when the the appropriate situations of when or not a an abortion is allowed, well, then that allows Roe v. Wade to be overturned much more easy. Yeah, you, you put that very well right there. Um, you know, it may seem as something that is maybe chipping away at Roe versus. Wade, but it, it's really preserving it when when you really think about it at a deeper level. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. Wow, um, that was good. She's. I, I find her to be very very bright, and I, I like that she's willing to work with Republicans. She's not a part of this this you know, it's all good versus evil, crowd. Uh, she's not part of the woke crowd. Um, I like her. I, I hope that this is not the end of Tulsi Gabbard. I, I hope we continue seeing more, seeing her, you know, I hope we see more of her in the future. Um, plus she's really pretty. So I really hope. Yeah. We see more of her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, one major one I left out here. Um, there is a, an amendment she proposed to the communications act of 1934, which would limit, uh, well, basically it, it would over, it would overturn section 230 which is, I, I think, I, I believe yeah. she's the only person on wow. the left that's actually calling for the removal of Section 230. That's big. Um, yeah, which, which I don't have a huge dog in the fight. I, there are definitely pros and cons to both. I think if, uh, if Section 230 was overturned, it wouldn't necessarily be the end of the internet. It wouldn't be the end of Facebook. Um, I, obviously, everyone would learn to adapt and roll with the punches with the legislation. Mm-hmm. But Interesting to see Tulsi out there leading that fight on the Democratic yeah. side. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Um, Section 230, of course, is the uh, <clears throat> rule that essentially um, um, protects uh, platforms, internet platforms, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Twitter, 
uh, it protects, it shields them uh, from, from lawsuits. So if like somebody says something false on Facebook, Facebook can't be directly sued for misinformation. Um, they're a, a platform, they're not publishers. It, it draws a, a distinction between platforms and publishers. Um, whereas if the New York Post or the New York Times publishes something that is definitely wrong, uh, if they're outright lying, they can be sued and they can be held accountable. So that's essentially section 230. Um, the argument is that since these platforms are censoring people, they're engaging in, 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 in moderating uh, what is said on their platforms, they're acting like publishers and therefore section 230 should be removed. I personally think the best way to go about this is just say, hey, these companies, they're, a, 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 they're essentially a town square and the people have a right to say whatever, um, freedom of speech. It's something that is, is paramount in America. Uh, these companies are no longer allowed to uh, censor people. People, if you're a bot, if you're a part of a, a Russian troll farm, then yeah, they, those, those, those accounts can be shut down. But if you're an actual person, a verifiable person, an American citizen, um, an, an American company that politicians use to, to, to put messages out there to explain policy, if, you know, if politicians are, are using the platform, no uh, American should be barred from accessing that platform. And, and using it to say what's really on their minds. Um, I, I, I don't think you need to get rid of Section 230, um, but I, I do understand the, the concern. I just don't think that they're going about it the right way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I can see it from both angles, and I can see arguments on both sides. I, I think the, the concern around Section 230 is if, if, if uh, this is coming from the I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong in the seeking, but where I think it may, mostly comes for defense of 230 um, is if, if you remove it, then just hate speech will run rampant all over the internet and they'll just, every website will become 4chan essentially, right? <laughs> I think that's like the, like yeah. the biggest fear. Um, and so I think that there is a way to give platforms moderation control that is much that it, that is effective and yet does not limit people's free speech that is protected under the constitution yeah but then yeah, you know, also you, I guess. But you also get into the the weeds with algorithms and you know the way that facebook and twitter the way they show you information is based off what they perceive you think you will like and i mean it's it's a it's a deep rabbit hole. You really want to get down to like, you know, the way that information is displayed or presented to you and not really so many, you know, it's not very free and equal when it comes to the algorithm and yeah, what you see online. Like, like how many, you know, how many people do you follow on Twitter and how many people do you actually see on your home screen? Right. Like it's, yes. it's very curated yes, to is. each and every person. Yes, totally. Very true. And yeah, like, like you said, we could really go down a big rabbit hole and a giant debate on this, this topic <laughs> alone, uh, which I don't think we're, we're trying to do right now, but it, it's definitely a major, major topic of debate. Um, 
Um, I think we have talked about it a few times in the past too. Um, but uh, anything else on, on Tulsi Gabbard before we move no. on? Yeah, I, I, I just hope after her uh, congressional run here, uh, after it ends, I hope she doesn't disappear. I think she's yeah. an important person to have, um, you know, in the Democratic Party. And you know, I, I feel I feel about her the same way you know I feel about Andrew Yang the way I feel about Tulsi Gabbard uh, or uh, sorry uh, Josh Hawley. These are very important people uh, that be paying attention to right now in, in our, our current political climate. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I I think she her message resonates with a majority of the population here. She's mm-hmm. a you know she's a populist in a lot of ways, and I wish her all the luck. And I yeah I hope we see more of her. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, all right, you mentioned Andrew Yang. We got some news on him this week. Speculation. Yes. Um, but you could call it news. Uh, he, it sounds like he's strongly considering running for mayor of New York City. Uh, I know a while ago this is something, an idea that's it's kind of been out there for a while, but supposedly this week uh, he was... Um, I forget who reported this, but he was supposedly uh, calling local uh, New York City officials to, to gauge uh, support. You know, would he have support if he were to run? Um, and, and some polls come out came out that are very favorable for Yang if he does run. Uh, so interesting stuff. Um, yeah, one- I think uh, I think it was the New York Post that broke that news. Yeah. Um, but in, in, in the wording that they were using in their reporting was he is expected to announce his, his run next month. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Which is, Interesting. I mean, yeah, if, if, you, yeah, if you're going to report like that, well, then you're pretty goddamn sure. Which, I mean, like, the, the, the way that polling was worded was like, without, <laughs> they didn't say his name, Andrew Yang, but they were like, would you support a person who ran on a, uh, a platform of universal basic income and received uh, Obama's, uh, you know, award for being entrepreneur of the year or whatever it was. <laughs> like, yeah. It was very obvious who the poll was talking about. And, uh, so it, it seems like, yeah, it's, it's, it's more than likely going to be happening. Uh, he's recruited some of the folks from the old Bloomberg team. And it's just seems like we're counting down the days until he officially announces his run for it. Yeah. So this poll, uh, showed him um i actually think that i think there were two polls that came out that mentioned he might run the one right here that i have data for in front of me this poll uh showed him uh with 20 percent of voters favoring yang versus 14 percent for brooklyn borough president eric adams and 11 percent for city comptroller scott stinger so eric adams and scott stinger are are i guess two people who are running um, and they're kind of the front runners, but Yang would immediately be on top if he were to enter the race. But also very interesting is that not only is Yang leading, but he also has a, a plurality in the category of second choice for voters, with 12% saying Yang is their second choice. And that's significant because New York City in 2019 adopted a ranked choice voting system. So that second choice category actually uh, means a lot. It will Mm -hmm. mean a lot moving forward. 
Um, and, and of course, that's something that Yang also, uh, his presidential campaign was about um, sec- uh, ranked choice voting. Um, just, just, you know, uh, it's not something that a lot of people know. Um, he definitely uh, popularized the idea a bit, but New York City has it and he could win because of it. So, I mean, that would, I, I think that would, uh, ranked choice voting would really become, I think, a, a national topic if Yang were to somehow win, uh, especially if that second choice uh, category helps put him over the, uh, over the edge. Yeah, 100%. You know, and um, I think Yang also has, I think it's underestimated how much Yang means to the people of New York right now. I mean, Yang also re- was responsible for saving the New York primary. Mm-hmm. And he, he's also been involved in, uh, in, in New York, especially New York City, for, uh, for quite a while. For, I mean, with his involvement with uh, Humanity Forward, they've been doing uh, a couple different UBI pilots in New York. Going starting back in March, yeah, he, he um, he's done. He and Humanity Forward have really done more for you know the average person than the government really, in, in a lot of ways. You know, they were giving out direct cash to people who needed it when when the government wasn't. You know, where where they did it once, a twelve hundred dollar check, but then after that, Humanity Forward began giving out basically to anybody who applied you know if you applied and said that you're you're struggling and you really need money boom andrew yang humanity forward they were there to uh send you a check Very right cool but stuff. even more than that so so i got some stuff prepared here i read off this uh, real quick so this is going back in march this is uh, andrew yang entrepreneur and recent presidential candidate announced on friday this is back in march keep in mind that his new nonprofit, Humanity Forward, and his partners will be distributing at least a million dollars to a thousand households consisting of the working poor in the Bronx in response to the COVID crisis. Recipients are clients of the financial empowerment nonprofit, trusted neighborhood trust financial partners, and will receive a thousand dollars within the next two weeks. In addition to the initial, in addition to the initial program implemented in the Bronx, Humanity forward will be partnering with one fair wage to supplement their one fair wage emergency coronavirus tip and service worker support fund across new york humanity forward will help ofw raise funds for the program and assist in the implementation of the payment to service workers across new york city who have been adversely impacted by the COVID 19 crisis resulting in economic shutdown so that's that's pretty major and then on top of that in may uh andrew yang's nonprofit humanity forward is giving 25 new yorkers 500 dollars a month for the next five years low-income residents of the upstate town of hudson which has a 19.2 percent poverty rate so uh it's a program called hudson up uh, will provide 500 dollars each month to 25 Hudson residents over the next five years. And then also when you see what uh, his involvement has been with the uh, mayors for guaranteed income that Jack Dorsey is behind, he has donated $15 million to it. I mean, it's, it's pretty much a shoe in that New York City would be part of the ga- mayors for a guaranteed income movement uh, post his election. Yeah. So he's, <laughs> I mean, he's a, uh, He's done some major stuff in New York already. 
if he's elected in the office, a lot more would happen in terms of financial relief. And given the current state that Bill de Blasio has left the city, which we, I guess we should also uh, note that Bill de Blasio will, will be leaving because of term limits, that it can only uh, get better for those people out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully he does run and, and hopefully, hopefully he wins. I think he's got a very strong chance. Um, I want to read something real quick uh, about how um, ranked choice voting will work in New York, because there's many different uh, forms of ranked choice voting. Um, and I wasn't exactly sure, you know, what, how it was going to be implemented in New York. Um, so I want to read this, which I found um, on cityandstatenewyork.com, a little uh, news site, all just New York City and state news. Um, also, um, I, I thought it was interesting. Ranked choice voting was a ballot initiative that people directly voted on in 2019. This wasn't something that, you know, the the city council or the mayor did. This is people directly voting on this. It was a ballot initiative. But anyway, okay, here's some city and state New York.com. Um, once the polls close, if a candidate wins a majority of first choice votes, that person wins outright. If no one has a majority of first choice votes, so 51% or more than 50%, uh, after the first round, the person with the lowest number of first choice votes is eliminated. That candidate's votes are redistributed to the second choice candidate on the ballots. So if you vote for somebody and that person comes in, you know, last place, basically, uh, among the that candidate's first choice, whoever that person is listed as a second choice, uh, that will go over to, to uh, so, you know, if you vote for, um, uh, your first choice is Happy Days and your second choice is Laverne and Shirley, but Happy Days uh, comes out last overall, then uh, Laverne and Shirley are getting the vote. Uh, so uh, <laughs> um, that's basically how that works. Um, the process is, is repeated for each round. The person with the lowest number of votes gets eliminated and their votes get redistributed to other candidates that, that have been ranked higher on the ballot only, until only two candidates are left. The person with the most votes then is the winner. Um, so it's just, it's just a, a better way to do democracy overall, I think. Um, it, it means that um, you don't always have to vote for, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of times people see the Republican and the Democrat as as two bad choices, and they really like a third party choice, but they know that that third party choice has no chance in hell, so they are forced to pick between the two bad choices. Usually, it's picking the better of two evils. Well, now you can pick that third party. And you can rest assured because if that third party, you know, comes in at the bottom of the pack, then your second choice or your third choice vote will end up counting. Uh, so it's, it's just a better way to, to do democracy, in my opinion. Yeah, no doubt. And hats off to uh, 
New York for making it happen. Yeah, it's, uh, there, there's some being, there, you know, there's some pushback right now saying that ranked choice voting is uh, is racist and that it, it's not ready to be implemented and all this crazy nonsense. But yeah, I, I think if uh, racist, right? <laughs> I think. But yeah, if they if they try to Ridiculous. you know step in and actually try to get it uh, repealed or removed again, I, uh, Yang will once again step in and uh, rewrite the ship just like he did the primary. Yeah, yeah, that's right. New York State they weren't going to have a primary basically. Let's uh, just give it to Joe Biden. Yeah, let's just give it to Joe Biden. Um, and he basically sued and and won, and the primary went on in New York, thanks to Andrew Yang. Yeah, which would I think was actually after he dropped out too. So he really didn't yeah. have right. anything didn't, politically to gain from that. Right. Yeah, and, no, and he's, democ- he's, he, he, I think he's a super honest guy and he just, just wants, uh, he just wants improvement. He just, he just wants to solve problems and that I, I really respect about him. I don't think he's power yeah, hungry yeah. or anything like that, you know? Um, I think he's, he sees or he's viewing uh, the potential of becoming mayor as a way to solve problems. Um, you know, it's not the presidency, but he's probably looking at it as, you know, there's at least four years until the next election and who knows what's going to happen then. Um, might as well work on the problems now. And the best way to do that might be becoming the mayor of the country's largest city. Yeah, uh, it, you know, it definitely did help Bill de Blasio during his uh, presidential campaign. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely helped Pete Buttigieg. Um, you know, uh, Christian Gillibrand, she came from New York politics. Uh, Mike Bloomberg, also from New York politics. Uh, Rui Giuliani, New York politics. Donald it's, Trump, uh, it's definitely... Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of people tied to New York in one way or another. Right, yeah, which you know, I think if, if if Biden wouldn't have uh, ran, I, I think it's a there's a good a good chance that the election would have came down to Sanders versus Pete Buttigieg. Yeah, and I, I think that that can't that can't be uh, overstated, and I think uh, it also speaks to. I, well, I mean, with, with Donald Trump winning the presidency, it really shows that anything really is possible, and not to under underestimate the underdog. Mm-hmm. This because uh, I mean, like I, you know, like I said, with the Biden Buttigieg situation, there wasn't too much a, a difference in policy. There was really the biggest difference was name recognition, yeah. and uh, I, I think uh, well, while, while the Iowa caucus is always going to be debated on who won that, uh, it does look like Pete did win that, and if Biden hadn't had been there, he would have absorbed that Biden vote going forward. In my mm-hmm. opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so, too. Um, yeah, Pete was a, a real smooth talker. Um, yeah, I I, th- I, th- I agree with that. It would have been Buttigieg versus Sanders uh, at the end. I, I don't know who would have won that, but it would have been would have been tighter than than it was this, this time around. That's for sure. Right. But yeah, I, I think it, it definitely is possible, I think, in, in, in today's politics for for a mayor. Mm-hmm. To potentially win presidency, you know, yeah. um, the, the cards are kind of stacked against you, but, you but I would it. not say it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. Um, should we move uh, on? Uh, 
But before we do, um, like, what do you think his policy would look like? You know, we, we knew what his policy looked like running for president, but running for mayor, how do you think he could adapt 150 policies into, like, let's say, 10 things that he wanted to do? It's a good question. I really don't know. I am a little bit concerned about universal basic income at a local level. Um, I could be wrong, uh, but I tend to feel that if you just have it in New York City, uh, the people footing the bill are just going to leave the state, and that's already happening in New York. And people who would benefit would flock to New York to, to get that extra money per month. You know, you'd encourage population movements. I, I kind of feel like something like universal basic income really needs to be at the at the federal level for that reason. I, I could be wrong. Um, hopefully I am. I do know that's something that he definitely will push for. I mean, he said that there's no reason New York shouldn't have a, a local UBI program. Um, it, 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 they just got to be real careful with how it's funded and who gets it. Um, it's a concern of mine. Um, I, I don't know what yeah. his other policies would be. I, I just know he's, he's a very bright guy. He's a, he's a million times smarter than me. He's, he's honest. Um, he's not partisan. Uh, it's not left, not right, but forward. Uh, and, um, you know, overall, I, I, I think those are the characteristics that make a good leader. So I, I'd like him. I'm rooting for him. Um, and I'm just going to hope that uh, my, my inclination towards um, um, local UBI is, is wrong. Yeah. I think, uh, I think what we will see, which will probably be disappointing to a lot of people will be some kind of UBI pilot in New York city. That'll be means tested, and you know I think that'll probably disappoint a lot of people in the Yang Gang or people in the UBI movement. But something is better than nothing, right? So, well, I'm, I'm concerned um, that they they do something and it ends up being very problematic. Like maybe they have the population movements that I'm talking about, and it causes New York, to, you know, to fall into debt and you know, uh, people, uh, you know, um, the uh, uh, taxpayers leave New York um, and it causes problems. And then it becomes a, a, a referendum on the UBI movement itself. You yeah. know, people say we can't do this federally because it can't even work uh, locally, you know, I, and I right. don't want that to happen. I think this can work nationally. I don't know if it could work locally. Yeah, I, I share the same concern. Um, one last thing I want to mention before we move on, this will be probably something that's going to be brought up as a smear campaign against him after he runs. But Andrew Yang did not, he neglected to vote for any state, congressional, or municipal election between 2008 and 2016. Which is, number one, it kind of strikes me as weird and odd. I, I guess, uh, I'm sure he'll answer the question whenever it's uh, finally proposed to him face to face but it is concerning when you don't involve yourself with 
you know, local elections for, for eight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is for sure. I, yeah, I'd like to hear what he says about that. Um, hmm. Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, but, uh, all right. but yeah, I'll, I'll support him if he runs. Hell, I'll probably fucking donate to his campaign. And because, uh, yeah, I want, I want him to <laughs> win something. God damn yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, same here. Same here. Um, all right. Should we move on to the big story about uh, the other 2020 presidential uh, uh, candidate that was in the news this week? Yeah, let's do it. Eric Swalwell, of course. He, he had a uh, short-lived 2020 presidential run. Uh, didn't do very well. He is a uh, Democratic representative that hails from California's Bay Area. And uh, this week, Axios reported a story alleging that he may have been compromised by a Chinese spy. And this was just, uh, I mean, it, it couldn't have been, the irony couldn't have been higher because Eric Swalwell was one of those people claiming that Donald Trump was basically sleeping with Russia, with Russia you know, um, Trump's a Russian informant, you know, he basically said Trump is compromised by Russia, yet he actually was sleeping with this Chinese spy, Christine uh, uh, Fang uh, or well, Fung. Um, well, hold on, hold, hold on, before, before you go, no, uh, he, Eric Swalwell was not the guy sleeping with her. Um, there were, it, there's at least one mayor from a uh, Midwestern state, potentially two mayors that were sleeping with this woman. Uh, it was not yeah. Eric Swalwell. You sure? I'm pretty sure I, yes. I heard that no. he was sleeping with her too. No, uh, if, if if he did, that must have broken within like the last couple of days. But that is not what I found when I was researching this topic today. Um, so the, oh. the reason that they they know about this one, this mayor uh, was sleeping with her, is because they had this dude's car. But the FBI bugged this guy's car, and uh, <laughs> they caught him banging her. In his car because he was under FBI surveillance. Uh, here it is. Uh, Christine Fang also had a sexual encounter with an Ohio mayor in a car that was under electronic FBI surveillance, said one current U.S. official. When the mayor asked why Fang was interested in him, Fang told him she wanted to improve her English, the same official said. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Um, yeah. Um, hold on a second. Um, in 2014, uh, at a conference in 2014 in Washington, an older, an older Miss Western mayor from an obscure city referred to Fang as his girlfriend and insisted the relationship was genuine despite the clear age difference between himself and Fang. <laughs> according, to, <clears throat> uh, according to a former mayor, Gilbert Wong, who was a director of the blah, 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 blah. Um, anyway, so Fang was dating and probably having a sexual relationship with this uh, Midwestern mayor from an obscure city. And then with a different mayor from Ohio, whose car was bugged, they call it having sex within a FBI bugged vehicle, uh, but not Eric Swalwell, Eric Swalwell. Uh, the connection between her and Swalwell was she was involved with the reelection campaign and fundraising fundraising in 2014. I'm pretty sure that I read 
that they had a sexual relationship to. Could be wrong. I could be wrong. Obviously, obviously we're, we're debating this here. So, um, you know, <laughs> nobody should be saying that she definitely, that they definitely were or that they weren't. Um, the listener can do their own research here. Um, but the bottom line is she was a Chinese spy in our country uh, who somehow got herself involved with, with multiple democratic politicians, um, both sexually and non-sexually. There were uh, a numbers that a number of, of politicians that definitely were not sexual. Like she was involved in Rokana's uh, 2014 campaign. I definitely didn't read anything about them having a, a sexual relationship. She was uh, involved in, uh, um, let's see, a few uh, others. Yeah, Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard, yes. Uh, Bill Harrison, um, Judy Chu, and Rokana, who I already named. Um, she actually was able to uh, install a, an intern into in uh, Eric Swalwell's office. Um, and uh, I, I just th- I just think it's it's it, it, the whole thing is ju- is just crazy. She was only uh, caught by the FBI because they were tracking down another spy, and and this other Chinese spy that was known to the FBI was having frequent com- com- uh, conversations with Christine Fang. So that's how they they you know got a lead on Christine. Um, just crazy um there's other spies out there uh you know i i hate to sound like um joseph mccarthy here but there are chinese spies everywhere <laughs> in this country um there are um yeah and, hey, uh, you ever see th- this whole situation reminds me of of the show the americans where you have um you know the this 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 american family uh it's it's they're really two Russian spies who have been here for a long time. They speak perfect English, but at night when like mommy's going to work, she's really going to like hang out with some uh, uh, um, American Congress people who, who probably have access to information and she's like banging them and doing all this stuff and, and trying to influence policy and, and relay information back to Russia. This is, she's doing the same thing. She's trying to influence American policy and to get information out, Eric Swalwell is a he's a member of the House Intelligence Committee, so it's like mm-hmm. obviously he was being targeted probably because of that position. Um, it's just just wild stuff, you know. Um, it is. It is. We, we I, I catch... think with the... yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, <laughs> well, I was gonna say I think what the important or the, the, the takeaway that I took from the story is that the Department of Justice decided not to press any charges against her. So as of right now, she didn't do anything illegal, right? So I think what's my takeaway, my big takeaway from this is what she did, basically anybody can do other than maybe sleeping with obscure Midwestern mayors. But uh, (laughs) if you want to inject yourself into the local political scene, all you have to do is similar similar things to what she did. You know, she uh, she joined a uh, a political committee at her uh, at the university she was attending in California. Uh, she became president of whatever club that was, and then from there, she just kind of hung out at all the AAPI events, 
all the uh, local congressional stuff. And all, you, all she had to do was really show up and interject herself into the political scene. And she was able to make things happen. So I, I think that's really like, yeah, sure. There's, there's spies and espionage and intrigue and all that involved with the story. But I, I think it really shows that like what one person is able to do is really incredible. Like one person yeah. can influence elections potentially or politics on such an incredible way that I actually have a little res- actually have a lot of respect for what she was able to accomplish because well all she did have, all she had to do was go out and do it and I, I think that when we view politics as something as ethereal or just something that you only see on TV or something you actually can't do anything about I think this this Christine Fang situation proves that if you just inject yourself into the scene if you go out and volunteer, you actually can make a name for yourself and you actually can change things. Yeah, um, totally. Um, I made a claim a minute ago and I want to back that up that there are Chinese spies all over this country. Um, right now I'm on, I'm on Wikipedia, all right? I know that's not the greatest source, but it's, it's like the best one that actually lists every, each case. And I, I want to read a few of them. These are are individuals arrested in 2020 alone. Um, Yang, I'm gonna butcher some of these names, so I apologize. Uh, Yang King Yi, January 28th, 2020, the FBI issued an arrest warrant for Yang Ying Yi on charges of being an agent of a foreign government, visa fraud, making false statements and conspiracy. Yi is a Lieutenant of the People's Liberation Army the Armed Forces of the People's Republic of China and a member of the Chinese Communist Party. While studying at Boston University's Department of Physics, Chemistry, and Biomedical Engineering from October 2017 to April 2019, he allegedly continued to work as a PLA lieutenant, completing numerous assignments from PLA officers, such as conducting research, assessing United States military websites, and sending United States documents and information to China. He is believed to currently be in China. So this is another student who came over here, um, was spying on behalf of China and is now back in China. Um, Same thing with Christine. She was a student, she's now back in China. Dr. Charles Lieber. Dr. Charles Lieber, the former chair of Harvard University's chemistry and chemical biology, uh, biology department, excuse me, was arrested on January 28th, 2020, same date, on charges of making false statements to federal authorities regarding his participation in China's Thousand Talents Program, a program established by the Chinese government to recruit individuals with access to or knowledge of foreign technology and intellectual property, who was formally indicted in June 2020. On July 28, 2020, he was also charged with a superseding indictment with tax offenses for failing to report income he received from Wuhan University of Technology in Wuhan, China. And Ming Hu, an associate professor in the Department of Mechanical, Aerospace, and Biomedical Engineering at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, was arrested on February 27, 2020, and charged with three counts of wire fraud and three counts of making false statements Hugh allegedly committed fraud by hiding his relationship with a Chinese university while receiving funding from NASA. Simon Saw Tong Ang, 
On May 8, 2020, Simon Saw Tong Ong, age 63, of Fayetteville, Arkansas, was arrested and charged with wire fraud. Ang allegedly had close ties with the Chinese government and Chinese companies and failed to disclose those ties when required to do so in order to receive grant money from NASA. Quing Wang, on May 14, 2020, Dr. Quing Wang, a former Cleveland Clinic Foundation employee, was arrested and charged with false claims and wire fraud of more than 3.6 million in grant funding he received from the National Institutes of Health. Dr. Wang is also accused of being part of China's Thousand Talents program. Zing Wang, Zhu Tang, Cheng Song, and Kikai Zhao, four Chinese nationals have been charged with visa fraud. On June 7, 2020, Zing Wang was arrested in Los Angeles, California airport and charged with visa fraud. Wang, a scientific researcher at the University of California, San Francisco, and officer with the People's Republic of China, People's Liberation Army is charged with falsifying his US visa application and accused of stealing secrets from the medical researchers from and sending them to a military lab in China, stealing information. Chen Song and Kikai Zhao were both arrested in July 2020 for lying on their visa applications to conceal their affiliation with the PLA. The FBI sought to arrest Zhang Tang pursuant to an arrest warrant and compliant that was filed on June 26th. Da, 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 da. Li Zing Yao and Dong Zaz Hai. <laughs> on July 21st, 2020, uh, these two individuals were charged with hacking into the computer systems of hundreds of companies, governments, and non governmental organizations, and individual dissidents, clergy, and democratic and human rights activists in the United States and abroad. The defendants had recently probed for vulnerabilities in computer networks of company development, developing COVID-19 vaccines, testing technology, and treatments. Alexander Yuk Ching Ma, August 2020, the FBI arrested 67-year-old former CIA officer Alexander Yuk Ching Ma over allegations that Ma had given classified material to Chinese handlers in exchange for cash and gifts. Zheng Dong Sheng, on August 23, 2020, Zheng Dong Sheng, a NASA researcher and Texas A&M University professor, was arrested for making false statements and wire fraud in relation to China's talents program. Guang Li, Chinese national Guang Li, 29, of Alhambra, I don't know where that is, was charged, and charged with destroying a hard drive during an FBI investigation into the possible transfer of sensitive software to China on August 28th, 2020. On September 16th, 2020, the U.S. Department of Justice charged Chinese hackers Zhang Haram, Tan Dalan, Zhang Li Ji, Quing Shirang, and Fong Quang with breaching more than 100 companies think tanks, universities, and government agencies around the world. A total of seven hackers have been charged. Baomaja Aing Wang, on September 21st, 2020, a U.S. federal prosecutor's charged New York City police officer Bang Deji Aing Wang uh, with acting as an illegal agent of the Chinese government, accusing him of providing intelligence about Tibetans living in the United States to officials at the Chinese consulate. Ang Wang was born in the Tibet region of China and is a naturalized U.S. citizen. 
Ang Wang is also employed by the U.S. Army Reserve. His father is a retired member of China's army and a member of the Communist Party of China. His mother is also a member of the party and a former government official. Ang Wang allegedly provided the consulate with access to senior NYPD officials through invitations to official events. Um, so that's just 2020. And it's like yeah. that for like every year. It's it's staggering. And I know that was long. Uh, so thank you for bearing with me while I went through that. But I wanted to make a point that those are the ones we've caught. There are many, there's got to be, I mean, logic says that th th there must be others that we just haven't caught yet. And, and many of them come over here. They take advantage of our generous student visa programs to gain access to U.S. universities. They try to steal information from our universities and from our, our, um, their places of employment, and they send the information back to China. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy, and we don't take it serious. Um, I know we probably do the same over there to an extent, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't take this seriously, what's going on here, you know, it's, I don't know, any thoughts? No, I, the, the, uh, the, the Beijing threat is a very real thing, and uh, <laughs> it, it should not be downplayed, it should not be underestimated. I mean, there's a, what I find interesting is that every case that you just listed off sounds like way more serious than the Christine Fang situation. Yet, like, none of those got media attention at all. Like, well, because this involved Eric Swalwell. That's, right. why, that's why it blew up. Right. But, but I mean, like you had people involved with NASA, had people mm -hmm. in the, in the, what was it, New York Police Department. Mm -hmm. That stuff is Right. That's, that's a, that should have been a bombshell revelation. You remember what Joseph McCarthy was saying? He was basically saying that there were communists involved in each level of the government and all these different agencies are all over the place. That's kind of what's happening here with the Chinese influence. You know, the, the Chinese Communist Party's influence is very strong here in the United States. Um, I, I personally think this is going to sound controversial, but we got to rethink our student visa program. Um, we have, I have the number here. We have Oh, damn it. I don't I'm not seeing it anymore. Um, I think we have something like 350,000 Chinese nationals studying in the United States compared to maybe 11,000 Americans in China. Um, hmm. Obviously, the large majority of those Chinese nationals are not Chinese spies. Um, you know, most of them, they come over here for a legit education. Um, but even those, they come over here, they get a great education, then they go back to China and they compete against us. China's an adversary, you know, they're, they're not, they're really not a, 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 a friend. Um, I mean, and this has nothing to do with the Chinese people. They are great. It's just their government is, and our government are uh, at odds over a number of issues. They, um, and, and we're competitors. I don't know why we're 
helping them out um, in regards to education. It's basically like it's basically like helping the opposing basketball team with their layup before the big game. You know why 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 do that? It, it just it just makes no no sense whatsoever to me. It's a national security threat. It's making our college more expensive because it's supply and demand. Um, the reason why college is so expensive here in large part is because our universities are able to market their programs around the world and create more demand. If we weren't, you know, um, I, 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 I'm a graduate of Hofstra University um, and, and I, had a, I had a professor in the marketing department there who was in charge of their uh, international outreach program. Uh, and he was basically bragging about all the business that he uh, gained for the university by recruiting foreign students, particularly Chinese students. I'm just thinking like, you know, if there was such a, a demand problem at Hofstra for their graduate program, which there was at the time, mm-hmm. there's another way they could have uh, improved demand and that was lowering prices. Instead right. of lowering prices for Americans, they just recruited students from overseas to come over here. And it's, it's really, it's unfair, you know, we're the ones who are paying the price in terms of tuition inflation. And then we have to compete against uh, uh, foreigners in this global economy where products can be made from anywhere uh, in the world and shipped to wherever. Um, it's, it's screwed up when you really think about it. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I, I think uh, at least in the in the Christine Fang situation, to bring it back to that again, um, while there weren't any criminal charges um, put against her, it, it does give you like a, a cool, I guess, insight to how China and Beijing are willing to operate in these uh, how to like, influence political circles, and mm-hmm. I mean is a is changing the student visa program the only is that the silver bullet well, maybe maybe not um but yeah it definitely is a a huge part of the problem like a, a lot of the espionage and spying does stem from that student student visa program mm-hmm. and i would be willing to bet it's not just china that's you know capitalizing and cashing in on that oh, it's not yeah. It's the Russians too. It's it's really it's really it's it's everybody. Everybody spies on everybody, right? Even our friends right. spy on us. But it's particularly problematic when it's an adversary, and it's even more problematic when you're making it very easy for them to do so. You know, China. We don't like I said. We're only sending about eleven thousand Americans to China every year. They have thirty million students in school in China. Thirty million. We have about twenty million. Um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me anymore. I must have deleted it, but I was looking at this earlier. There are about 20 million college-age students. Um, there's about 20 million college students in the United States. Of that 20 million, um, over 300,000, I think closer to 350, are Chinese nationals. That's a shit ton. It's almost mm-hmm. 2%. Uh, about, about 2%, two out of every 100 college students is really a citizen of China in the United States. That's a ton. In China, the fraction, the percentage of Americans enrolled in their schools 
is like 0.003% or, or something like that. Very, very uh, tiny. Um, that's a trade imbalance, okay? Uh, education is, is a product. And we're, you know, we're essentially losing. They're getting the, the, you know, they're able, they're seeing this as a way to essentially subsidize education over there, you know? Um, mm -hmm. We'll send our students abroad and make the American system more expensive. And, uh, and essentially that makes the demand not rise all that much in China because they're able to send their students around the world. And then they come back with that excellent American grade education and, you know, they can make Chinese business great and give them an edge in competing against us. Um, and we send over a, a puny amount over there to learn from the Chinese. I mean, there's a lot to be learned from the Chinese and we're just not, either we're not taking advantage of that or they're not allowing that many uh, people to get visas. I, I bet you that's really more the case. I bet you they're a little bit more controlling, but I mean, I'm not sure about that. Um, you know, but the point is, it's a national security threat and it's also causing uh, tuition inflation. And, um, you know, every day we're talking about canceling debt, about UBI, about, you know, all, all the, the problems that average people are facing. Um, we've got to get costs under control. Um, and, and one way to go about that is, uh, is re-examining our student visa program. I don't have a, I don't have as much of an issue when it comes to like high school students. We actually have a lot of um, uh, Chinese nationals enrolled in our high schools as well as part of a foreign exchange program. I don't really have an issue with that because that doesn't impact college at all. But on the college, I mean, and and their ability to spy when they have to like you know, deal with a host family that doesn't want them out past nine, <laughs> it becomes a little bit more difficult. But college is, is a different ballgame. And, and that's a little bit more serious. You're dealing with adults at that point. Yeah, I think uh, in an ever changing global landscape where China is trying to really become the global dominant superpower, and things like this should be taken very seriously. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if, uh, if China I mean, there's a good argument to be made right now that post-COVID China is the dominant superpower in the globe right now. And, you know, how, how we treat China for the next five, 10 years is going to be very important because, uh, I mean, the way the, the, the way that China views its position in the world is very different from the rest of the world. Like China is, is basically willing to sacrifice, you know, 50, 75 years in economic development for a long-term payoff. So it's while, while they may play the long game better than we do, we got to play the short game really good right now. Yeah. Because with, with the, with the global economy on fire, with everything upside down, and at least in Western nations China, not so much, you know, they, they were able to roll the punches pretty well during the COVID epidemic life as it seems is largely back to normal there. And, um, yeah, I, they could come out on top of basically everything very soon here. So, I mean, yeah. that, that's given, um, I mean, a lot of things could, could, could change that predicament um, in terms of the way that, you know, the Middle East and conflict develops potentially over there. 
um, especially with the United States and Iran, that could upset the the balance of power. But but yeah, I, I think yeah, the, the the growing threat of China really being the uh, the global dominant superpower as a as a real thing to contend with mm-hmm. now more than ever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, things like this can't just be swept under the rug and forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And, and it's problematic because they have like a million Uyghurs locked up in concentration camps right now. It's problematic because they're basically living in a surveillance state where there is no freedom of speech or, or right to privacy. And if they're the superpower in the world, I mean, we want developing countries to want to copy the United States and they, we want them to you know, say, look at how successful the United States is. I want to copy them. I want to be like them. That means we're going to have a, 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 a democratic republic. Um, we should want them to aspire to be like us, to, you know, to adopt our values. Um, China's, like you just said, they're winning right now. And you know, these developing countries are going to have to make a choice. Do they want to be like the United States, which is looking more and more like a dumpster fire? Or do they want to be like China, which is is really looking like they have their stuff under control? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why this is all very important. Um, I, I like the freedoms that we have here. And I want to expand upon that and and you know, um, allow more people to achieve the American dream, which, which is becoming more and more difficult for people to achieve here. Um, the alternative is that we forget about the American dream and adopt something uh, more in line with the Chinese dream. And uh, I, I just, I, I think that um, uh, that's not the path we want to go down. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that, that, that is be a, a very dark path forward, and that's something that that, that has concerned me. So, so like, if we're, if we're going to be competitive with China on the manufacturing level, but if, if we're going to reshore all the jobs that we spend, we have spent decades and decades shipping over there and just giving away essentially to bring those jobs back and to be competitive on the global scale. If we just incorporate Chinese working practices and policies, that's, <laughs> that's not a good thing either, man. Yeah, like if no. we just, like, if we just become China, if that's how we beat China is actually no. become them. No, like, absolutely like, not. Yeah. Because like in terms of labor laws, in, in terms of, uh, wor- uh, you know, worker pay in terms of worker rights, it's not the way to go about it. So <laughs> no, no, it's, that, that it's can, not, it, but it doesn't mean that, the jobs have to go to China. Like I no. don't have a problem with importing from Japan or from Vietnam, which is also another communist country. We're just not rivals with them, you know, right now. Um, Vietnam actually has issues with China, so we're we're kind of like on the same side in a lot of issues. I don't have a problem importing from India, you know, or other developed. We should be importing more from South America, you know. We should be working within our hemisphere basically um within um the americas that's a sure way to cut back on on the uh the refugee crisis if 
Mm-hmm. You know, we were, uh, if instead of moving to, to China, we had businesses manufacturing, um, taking advantage of low cost labor in Colombia and in Guatemala, uh, you know, Guatemala, that would create jobs in those areas. And there'd mm-hmm. be less refugees coming over this way. Um, you know, right. I, mean, I understand yeah. a, a lot of it has to do with, you know, we have to have manufacturing in Asia because a lot of times the manufacturing that's going on in China is our American goods that are actually being shipped to within the Asian region. They're being shipped to Japan. They're being shipped to Korea. You know, so, I mean, so we, we, we can't just move all the factories to the, the uh, you know, to our hemisphere. But a lot of the stuff that is being shipped across the world from China to the United States, that could be shipped from Colombia. And, and you know, the companies would still be seeing a huge saving in wages compared to paying Americans. And it would, uh, you know, it, it would kind of um, help out the refugee crisis. So, you know, it'd be killing two birds with one stone, three birds, if you consider, uh, um, you know, just not enriching China, essentially. Um, but trade is a whole, whole nother topic, really. Bring them back to jobs, I, I think, is uh, uh, too far-fetched. You know, it's just too expensive mm-hmm. here. Um, I, I think we'd be much better off um, importing from low-cost allies and neutral countries, but maybe having like a small tariff on that, um, not high enough to make it impossible to import, but enough to help fund a UBI-type program. Uh, uh, you know, instead of calling it a VAT tax, it should be called a, um, a job displacement tax. You know, any, any company that's participating in job displacement technologies, whether that's automating away jobs or offshoring, um, those companies should have to pay a, a special tax that can fund a universal basic income program here in the United States. So we get the benefit of low cost goods and um, people get um, unconditional income. I agree. <laughs> Need to make it happen. Need to do yeah, what, uh, what Christine, what Christine Fang did, inject ourselves into local politics. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sleep with the right people and uh, yeah. maybe follow that best. template. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Should we, should we wrap up? We've been going for a while. This has been a long one. But a good one, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah, let's uh, let's wrap it up here. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, we will be back next week. We're gonna aim to be anyway. I know we uh, uh, had a little bit of a hiatus, and uh, we didn't really announce it ahead of time. Um, that was my fault. I was really planning on continuing to do this while I was away, but it was just too difficult. Um, but we'll be back next week. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast, and uh, hope you all have a great week. See ya.